Colin Turner is the place you want to, or the person you want to go to uh, when you when you decide to make that that uh, leap into your your home. Oh, now let me just edit this. This has not been good. Three. <laughs> 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 three, two, so three, two, one. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Chris Nee. Maybe eventually we'll be joined by Zach Blostein. We'll see. It's two episodes in a row now where he's been tardy. But who's counting? Uh, I'm in a better mood and, and certainly less anxious than when we recorded last Friday with some things up in the air. Christopher, how is your mood, your demeanor now that we know uh, the dust has settled, the offseason seems to be done, knock on wood, and uh, Mike Norvell has signed a contract extension with Florida State? It's funny. Once uh, Friday kind of came and went, obviously a very busy day, and then Saturday with a couple transfer visitors wrapping up, also a busy day. But I hit the links on Sunday. I'm not an avid golfer. I'm actually quite an awful golfer. But I had a good old time with the boys and my father-in-law playing nine holes here in town. And uh, it was weird. It, it felt like the slowest day I really had in 45 days. And some of that was because in that span, you know, family travels and whatnot for Christmas. But yeah. And then obviously a little bit of news yesterday, but that actually wasn't too hard of work. No, it wasn't. It wasn't too hard of work. You were on it and we were on it. But uh, let's get into it. Mike Norvell resigns to Florida State. That's where we're going to start this episode. Uh, but we're going to also uh, talk about some of the transfer portal finishes. Uh, crystal ball from Zach, who now joins us. Zach, hello. Thank you for being on time. Hello. Any reason you were late? No. Just just not caring about other people's time. Cool. That's good. 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 Developing that habit. Nice. Um, so Mike Norvell uh, goes ahead and, and finishes up his contract extension with Florida State. Things got, got a little weird maybe on Thursday evening, late, late, late. But, like, we were never – well, Chris, I'll let you talk about it because you kind of put it like well on Friday that although there was stuff we were chasing, I don't think the concern was that he was ever going to actually leave. It was probably discussed. FSU was being aggressive. And, and that's ultimately what happens is he signs a, a eight-year contract extension for $10 million a year. It's going to put him at, at one of the highest paid coaches in the country. Yeah, I'm a person that deals in probabilities and possibilities. Did the possibility exist of him departing? Yes, it did. Was it probable? I don't think it ever really got to that point. Um, yes, Alabama was interested in him. Did they have a talk? I don't know. I don't think he had a formal direct interview, or at least that has not been said to me. Thursday evening, I was pretty comfortable on our message board of going out of the way and saying I expected him to remain at FSU. I said the same when we were recording on Friday morning doing on the bench while I was out at the bench. And uh, yeah, I felt that way pretty consistently and talking to multiple people involved in those kind of decisions and what goes on there. You know, I didn't think it would trend that way. I know there were reports that FSU was vetting other candidates. I've been told that was wholeheartedly false, not the case. Um, yeah, the concern around the building wasn't dramatic by any stretch at any point, really, over the 48, 72 hours that all was going on. It was around that building pretty much consistently in that time. And yeah, I, I just... I never hit the panic button. And I think, I hope we guided people in discussing it on the message board and in this podcast where they never felt like the panic button had been hit because I think that's what we were going for in our discussion of the subject. 9.45 a.m. as we're recording. Thank you. Uh, Zach, you were, uh, yeah, I think this is fair. I think you were maybe the most anxious about everyone of, of him leaving in our group chat. Is that fair? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say that I thought he was that I thought Norvell was leaving. I just thought that it was more of a possibility than a, I think a lot of people, including you know maybe we, you know, as a group were were thinking at least to start right. Like, you know, I think I brought up um, what the day after you know Saban's retirement. Like, hey, we might want to start like planning how we want to cover this. And I got some pushback when I said that. Um, I wasn't saying, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saying that, you know, Hey, like we need to do like hourly updates. Um, but I mean, I thought, you know, if you look, you know, after Dan Lanning turned the job down, like Norvell was clearly among that next tier of, of legitimate options. And and I think we, we all believe that he was one of their top, um, targets, you know, before landing on DeBoer. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought he was gone, um, but I do think that I viewed it as a legitimate possibility where, you know, I think in the past, like Norvell's job or name has been brought up for other jobs. Like I think Auburn, um, you know, when Hugh Freeze got hired, you know, a few others, but A&M. Yeah, A&M. Like it's, it's never been to where like, you know, I actually think there's a chance of him going. Um, and I think that I got there um, with the Bama head coach vacancy. Obviously, like I'm thinking about this in the context of coming off of a, a 13 and one season and 23 wins in the last two years, I had a 19 game winning streak, and so sky high, right? Like this is this is the program ascending to heights it hadn't been in, in quite some time, in about a decade. And with that context in mind, so Alabama job, and I know people are going to want us to talk about like was did Mike turn down the job? Uh, was the offer actually presented to him? I don't know if it got to that to that point to be honest um but i do know that you know there was a vetting process uh and i do know that he wanted to stay in in tallahassee he ultimately did and his agent did a really nice job getting him secured uh and and getting some other promises and guarantees assured as well we'll get into that but like if alabama wasn't able to lure mike norvell away people were worried about like the domino effect of you know sarkeesian going to Alabama and, and Texas opening up like I don't know if Mike returning to Texas is as appealing to him as people on the outside looking and think my question to you guys is like if not these jobs these main jobs that are opening you now look at what Florida State is paying him and the competitiveness that they're offering like what would Mike leave Florida State for at this point other than uh, what NFL or just maybe if things go belly up and didn't go well over a period of time and there's no evidence that's what's going to happen like it seems like the foreseeable future is Mike Norvell for, for yeah foreseeable future maybe a really long time after yeah my, in my opinion on it is he would leave to hit the reset button if the time came where the reset button needed to be hit and usually that's pretty evident that's pretty clear when things trend that way for two parties I think the other thing that could influence is a change in leadership at FSU I think if there was a change in AD and or president it could affect it because I think currently the regime, all the people that deal with one another in that hierarchy do it well and they work well together. And, uh, you know, we, I think the fan base collectively has some PTSD from the Jimbo Fisher days, but I, as someone who was around put groups, that group hated each other constantly. And this group works very well together and is trying to achieve the same goals together. And I, I think there's drastic differences between that two. 
you know, people were quick to ask, why doesn't Mike Norvell do a Dan Lanning video and put this to bed? Well, there's things he wanted. He asked for those things. Those things are going to happen. That has been a consistent theme in his time here of things he wants, believes the program needs to achieve the highest level of success, that they work very hard to achieve those things and push forward with them and achieve them, such as building football-only facility, more recruiting money in the sense of staff and things of that sort. And that's where they're at. And they work very well together. So I, I think it would have to be essentially things going sideways on the field and the two parties kind of getting wary of each other or the party changing that works along with Mike and the hierarchy of F- FSU athletics and university affairs. By or Sinone, Mike Norvell is more likely to leave Florida State for a high school job than he is for a college job. No, I'm going to Sinone that. I mean, I think <laughs> I never say never with college jobs. I even didn't say never with the Bama job. I just didn't expect him to do it. I don't think he's in a rush to change jobs. I don't think he views FSU as a stepping stone job to somewhere else. I think he believes he can achieve everything he wants to in the college game at Florida State. Yeah, I think also known. Um, that's funny though. I think I think uh you guys couldn't see Mike just being like, hey, you know what? Like, I just want to go and coach it at its purest form. I'm good. This transfer portal or uh, the calendar. Yeah, but I, think, I think if he gets that feeling, he just goes to the league. I don't think he would like to do that. Like he's talked about that before with like uh, headsets and stuff like that with with uh, or you know communication devices and players' helmets, like. He, I don't. He likes the teaching part of his job too much. To where I don't think the NFL yeah. would be appealing to him based on what he said. I, but also, you have to, you know, put into account, like, take into account how how bad and you know the schedule is right now for you know college football coaches. And um, I mean, the calendar is just so messed up. So that's what I'm I saying. Wouldn't, I wouldn't blame anyone that that's coaching college football right now from from going to the league. It's not a it's not ideal right now, the setup in college football. No, but but what is ideal and, and getting us back on, on topic, and that's my bad for detracting. Um Mike being at Florida State for the foreseeable future and what Florida State has promised him. Like, yes, it's a lot of money, but he was already making eight million. Like going up to ten, it's not like this huge like shift C- in CFP level coaching money. CFP, that's what that is. CFPI. I mean, it's it's what you pay a top five coach in the country. He just won two Coach of the Year awards. Like, yes, it is deserving. But what's going to come with it, and this is where I think if you're a Florida State fan, like, yes, be very excited that you have a really competent, really good head coach assured and locked up. That was important. That's a an asset that is is meaningful, especially with all your pouring into your football program from a you know, brick and mortar facility standpoint. Like, you have added insurance there, competency. I think. Um, at least the best, you know, the, the best you can foresee. Obviously, you never know what the future is going to hold, but the football program appears to be in really good hands under Mike Norvell for the foreseeable future. The other side of it is that with the Mike Norvell extension, and we're awaiting uh, the specifics of the contract and in details, but it was our belief, and we reported this on Thursday evening, that what they were negotiating for was recruiting budget increase, staff budget increase. Uh, things that will allow Florida State to remain extremely competitive in the national landscape. Yeah, and continued for, support of NIL, for example. Mm-hmm, yes, uh, that is significant. That helps with the roster building and retention. Uh, what that means for Florida State is that you are now in that game. Like, whether it's Mike Norvell or someone else, like, I don't think that changes. You know what I mean? Like, you are, you are vested fully in football at a level that is in the 99th percentile uh, or close to it nationally. And that's significant. I think that 
FSU has demonstrated where the sport is in terms of the pecking order for them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to say on that. Like, this is significant. One last point on that. I was doing a national radio show when FSU filed suit against the ACC. Somebody essentially asked me, why would FSU do that beyond the common sense things of more money potentially going to the bigger, the SEC, so on and so forth. I said, plain and simply, FSU views themselves as one of the 10 to 15 programs in the country that wants to compete for football national titles. They are all in on doing that, and they've been all in on doing that for three decades. And truthfully, they've gotten better at being all in on doing that in recent history over the last 10 or so years. Jimbo Fisher modernized the program to a degree, pushed it forward, earned that 13 title, had them in position in 14. Obviously, things faltered and there were bad years, but I feel like they're back on that track of where they were about a decade ago. That's why they do it. That, that's why FSU is willing to pay a football staff basically 25 or $26 million as a head coach and all the on-field assistants. That's what FSU's salary pool is going to be at after this contract is released. That That's the ballpark they want to live in. They want to compete. It's a huge business. The business side of it's not slowing down. In fact, the business side is going to become the most important side here in the near future when you have to start paying players. FSU understands you have to keep filling the coffers with money and revenue, and that's why they're doing the lawsuit. That's why they're willing to pay a coach that they believe can lead them to the highest level of college football. And it's also about stability. Instability comes with a lot of cost. I mean, FSU is just getting Willie Taggart off the books. That's a great example of it. Is it better to be paying two guys or one guy one guy who you believe in, and that's where FSU is. So, like, yeah, I, 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 I would love a change in attitude from a lot of people that view this program, both within the program who are fans of it and people from outside, and understand exactly who and what FSU football is trying to be and has always been trying to be in modern history. I think I mentioned on the last podcast that one of uh, in general investing in a head coach and having a higher head coach is a poor investment it usually doesn't work out you usually have to end up paying a lot of money for the head coach uh, if it doesn't work out the exception to it is if it works out tremendously and you get a nick saban type of guy and then it's just worth his way it's like lebron james being a max salary player in the nba when there's a salary cap there's not a salary cap on coaches, but there's a certain level of like just this inherent like insurance premium that you have of like, oh, it will be competent, it will be structured, it will keep a certain amount of people engaged and giving money to the program in the stands. And I think that in addition to uh, FSU showing that it's fully vested, to your point, Chris, in, in all aspects of, of football and, and showing that consistently over a period of time, but like now like this is a hammering home exclamation point to go ahead and say that, yeah, you have this steady force guiding your football program for the foreseeable future it's like the fifth time i've said foreseeable future i'll stop saying it it matters like this this is again this is a significant swing for florida state uh it's a potential defining moment for the program and uh ones that shows uh, very much so that you're not just for real but you're, you're here to stay and hell i didn't know that was the case you know five years ago there was things that didn't feel so good so uh, adding Two positive vibes and, and energy and just a sense of optimism for the future is what FSU has done in the transfer portal. And we've talked about what, what they did. You guys spent a lot of the last show uh, or two shows ago going over who they had added already. But like Zach, they've added three more guys. Linebacker. And, and the linebacker. Do we want to start with the linebacker? It's the most recent. But we have to. You've been the loudest about the linebackers. So let's get into it. Florida State got a commitment. Uh, on Monday evening, uh, there was kind of a surprise visitor. 
Uh, Chris broke the news. He wasn't necessarily credited for breaking the news, but Chris broke it. Good on you, dude. Uh, and FSU ends up getting a commitment. Go ahead and let the fans and, and audience members, Zach, know uh, who FSU's getting that linebacker, and you'll be shocked to know where he's from. The fifth Alabama transfer to Florida State, Sean Murphy, linebacker, originally from the state of Virginia. He's a redshirt freshman this past season at Bama, six foot two. Um, 225 pounds he's a he's a guy that hasn't had much production yet at the college level um but he has played in you know spot situations for the bama defense uh, he's playing behind some really talented bama linebackers you know nfl guys um and they were expected to return in 2024 so murphy is on the move for you know his third season of college football and he visited Florida State as Chris Knee broke and wasn't credited for. And the he, internet. Yeah, he committed to FSU the same day that he departed from campus um, yesterday. So he, yeah, I think I think Sean Murphy's a really good ad for them. Um, he has ideal height and weight. Um, and if you look at some of his Bama film and and the high school tape, it's some impressive stuff. Um, the high school, like I, I remember Sean Murphy as a high school prospect. Florida State was semi-involved with him. Um, you know, they were coming off. I think that was after five and seven, so not much juice on the trail. Chris Marv was the linebacker coach back then. They did have him on campus at least one time, and I remember you know thinking he was one of their top linebacker targets. Well, he ends up at Bama. I think he won the best high school football linebacker in the country award, yeah. the Buckus. Uh, Buckus Award. <laughs> out of high school and what's so funny Brennan girl um and yeah I mean it's a good ad they needed to add a linebacker I think he's far better of an option than the two guys that they were involved with earlier on in the portal cycle and Stefan Thompson out of Syracuse who ended up at Nebraska and then Nikhil Hope Green who's still an option but he's not an option in this window if he if he's going to be added to the roster it'll be after the spring you get Sean Murphy in as a guy that'll join the team for spring practices, winter conditioning. And then I don't even think we talked about it on the, sh on the last show, but DJ Lundy's back. Um, we did not talk about it. Yeah. So DJ Lundy in rather dramatic fashion enters the portal in December after, you know, some back and forth with his, you know, NIL askings heads to Colorado commits there, you know, within the week. And it seems all but set that he's going to, you know, be a Buffalo. He even like visits there, I think the, you know, the weekend before announcing that he's returning to Florida state. That's a huge deal, right? Cause we had talked about on, you know, the, the last podcast and the one before that, that the linebacker room was, was not in a good spot, but to get Lundy back to go along with the addition of Sean Murphy. Yeah. I mean, it, it drastically changes the outlook of that room. For this upcoming season. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Lundy was one of the top, I think, 14 ranked linebackers in the transfer portal. I truthfully think he's one of the top 10. He was definitely one of the better options that was ever associated with FSU in any form or fashion. As for the addition of Sean Murphy, to add to what Zach said, out of high school 2022 class, 247 had him as a number 142 overall player and number 12 backer. They were lower on him than a majority of the industry. He was ranked by the composite number 72 overall. In the number six linebacker, 
And yeah, I'm I'm not one for a school falling back on somebody else's scouting, but Alabama's history under Nick Saban and the staff that has worked there in recent years at that position is extremely good. So I, I think that's sort of a rubber stamp on a kid that FSU also liked. A lot of special teams work in his time in Tuscaloosa, a little bit of spot duty on defense. I think he'll very quickly gain a major role at FSU. I think he's a kid that's going to compete for that top line at linebacker spots. I think the expectation is for him to come in and, and start, or at least, yeah. like you said, Chris, compete for it. Him and DJ Lundy, both thumpers, both physical, uh, 225 pounds for Murphy. DJ's obviously a bigger dude as well. So you're, you're going to have some beef in the in the middle of the defense there. I think the big question for Murphy is, like, how does he cover in space? That wasn't a strength of his in high school. Doesn't have a whole lot of reps of that at Alabama. Did see some, like, nice things on film in terms of, like, movement skills, better than I expected. So some optimism there. But, like, it'll, it'll be a fun one to kind of watch and assess in the spring. The spring in general is going to be fun. There's not so many ranked. new guys to watch. Not, they are evaluating him today on Tuesday morning. I don't know when that means he'll be ranked, but he is he is in the uh, the queue to be to be evaluated today uh, by our 24-7 national team. So Another good example of FSU jumping on a kid immediately, too. Hits the portal officially Saturday, get him on campus starting on Sunday. Wrap it up on Monday, close the deal the same day. We had heard whispers of them going after an Alabama linebacker. We weren't sure who. As soon as this dude entered and I saw that he was from Virginia, I said, I know what linebacker coach likes to recruit guys from North Carolina in Virginia. Randy Shannon. Are you going to apologize, Zach? They got a linebacker room figured out now. Yeah, it only took, what, a week and a half after the portal closed to land him. Um, but it happened. No, I mean, but Better happened. late than never, never buddy. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> just was, has to be uh, good when August rolls around. That's when it actually matters. Yeah, man. I mean, we'll see kind of how he, you know, fits into the equation. I, I assume he'll be a starter considering, you know, just the stat, you know, state of that room right now. But, um, you know, I guess we'll, we'll kind of see how it shakes out after the spring and if they need to add another guy. I assume they'll be in the market to probably add another um, because I feel like you want to, feel comfortable that you can have three guys to, to count on um, like they did this past season. Um, so we'll see, but, but yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll have the spring to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I feel much, much better about, you know, where that, where that room lies. I mean, the Lundy edition in its own right was big. And then you add another guy with, you know, some athletic upside and a guy that was, you know, in Bama's system for two years. I, I feel pretty good about that room now. The Not other amazing. two, the other two additions over the weekend were running back Roydell Williams, also from Alabama. We talked about him some on the last pod. Bigger back, talented kid, very productive in his college career. Biggest question with him was, was his role going to become more prominent at Bama if he had stayed versus going elsewhere, where I think he will have a very significant role at FSU. I think he fits kind of into that one, two, three punch of Lawrence Tovilli because I home for FSU. And then the other addition is Richie Leonard, uh, the fourth from University of Florida, very veteran offensive guard, started every game this past season for the Gators. Former high school prospect at FSU, prior staff, was extremely involved with. Both of them came in. They departed on Saturday. Roydell told us when he walked out of the building that he had committed and made it official. Richie uh, wanted to play it out a little bit longer, even though it was pretty evident that it was probably going to be FSU even before that interview. And he made it public, I don't know what, 45 minutes to an hour later, I think. I think I was watching FSU Notre Dame basketball when he officially popped. Roydell Williams has a 91 grade in the transfer portal. It makes him 71st overall prospect in the portal this cycle. So top 100 dude, fun film. I think kind of your Treshawn Ward replacement that Rodney Hill never quite stepped into. 
last season where he's pretty quick, quicker than fast, a uh, good vision, really good patience, contact balance, a lot of things that Treshawn Ward did. Kind of like a more souped up version, more physically like built version of Treshawn Ward. Uh, and so you have a guy like Chris mentioned, probably complementary to the other pieces that you have in the running back room. And then Richie Leonard, man, to me, like, I know that Florida fans weren't heartbroken that he left, but also like go look at some of the good film that he has. Like he's going to be a floor raiser, very stable. I wonder if he could snap. Is that important to you guys? But like he's six. He had 14 snaps at center last season in Florida's second game. I forget who they played. Was that Charlotte that week? It was one of the lowly ones on their schedule. I can't recall which one, but that's the snapping he saw last season. I don't know about prior to last season. He did mention in his exit interview that he, he has played some center. He's capable of playing some center. Um, we'll see. I, I I don't know. I have weird feelings on that because the Casey Roddick experiment at center last spring seemed in yeah. retrospect kind of wasteful. And I don't know if Roddick maybe would have been slightly a tick better at guard if he had focused solely at guard in his one year in Tallahassee. So, you know, you only have so much borrowed time with guys when you bring them in with one year of eligibility remaining. So FSU is third in the transfer portal rankings right now. And that is with Murphy still uh, unranked, still unranked. I think they have a chance to get to second here. They're behind Texas A&M right now, but they're, they're going to be close. It's another year of FSU doing a really good job in the portal. This is probably it for right now, though you still have guys from like Alabama entering and if Jim Harbaugh goes somewhere in Michigan, you have Washington. You still have some like top-notch programs that have some players departing. So you will see, but for like FSU, I know there's a flexibility for we talked about for the class schedule. Like ad drop was last Thursday. And so like Sean Murphy, who we expect to enroll, I believe, for the spring here. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some flexibility in athletics to go ahead and get someone after the gun. But as this gets further along, it becomes more and more difficult. So with that being said, I think they're done in the portal right now. Spring eval will kind of be important to see what you have on the roster, who departs, how much room you end up having. People are really into scholarships right now. But so like as the dust has settled, Zach, I guess, what do we think about the cumulative of FSU's uh, transfer class? It, it, on paper, like I'm pulling it up right now in the, in the team rankings for, for where FSU's at. The blue chip ratio. You have 14 commitments. I don't know if that's including Sean Murphy because he's not ranked yet. No, it is. It's 14 commitments, but you have nine blue chip guys. Uh, four three stars, Sean Murphy pending. I think he should be pretty close to being a blue chip guy. Should be on the, the fence there. So, Zach, what are your thoughts on what FSU has accumulated? Yeah, I mean, I would say better than I expected. If you ask me, if you asked me like two weeks ago, how this portal window would would go for Florida State, just just because it it didn't start all that great. Um, you know, they they missed on some guys they did want, and you know, I think the start of that kind of week of visits where Nick Scorton ended up at AM before ever visiting Florida State, I, I felt pretty, you know, pessimistic about how they were going to close if they couldn't, you know, get a guy like that to even step foot on campus. Um, because he was definitely the best edge rusher on their board. But they they, you know, spe- specifically at Edge, I think they signed a really solid class. Like I like the additions. I think the top four guys that they'll have this coming year might be better holistically than the top four they had playing for them last year at at edge in my opinion because that obviously jared verse is better than any guy they have you know in that room but you don't think that the four guys they have right now are an upgrade over you know and whatever are, are the backups of 
you know, that group, you don't think that's an upgrade over Byron Turner? And give me, give me Jared verse. Give me a proven first round draft pick at defensive end every time. But the next best thing I said it last time, next best thing you can have, if you don't have that is a wave of, of body types and yeah. capable pass rushers. And, the, and you know, they had, they had an opportunity to go get a guy like that. Nick Scorton. They didn't. And like you said, this is the next best thing. And, and to me, like, like it was so noticeable last season when they had to put Gilbert and, and Byron in the game. Um, and, you know, obviously Gilbert is out of the program now. Byron's still an option. And hopefully, you know, he, he gets, you know, another year in the program, he gets even better. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a top five of guys that, that can be pretty solid for you. So we'll, we'll see. But, but to me on paper, um, it's a solid group and, and holistically, you know, FSU's transfer hall, a lot of guys that, that raise the floor of the program and a few guys that if, you know, if you hit on them, um, they can be, you know, real, real stars for you in the future. So the non blue chip transfers are Richie Leonard. We just spoke a good bit about him. Great deal of experience, guard, position I had, desperate need at. Devontae Brown, I know opinions on him. Range all over the map. I understand him. I'm not going to try to change people's opinions. FSU views him as depth at safety with a great deal of experience, hoping he returns to the form that he was at UCF in, what, 21 is it, Brendan? And then Grady Kelly, an offense, or I'm sorry, an interior defensive lineman that they like a great deal because of maturity. Uh, you know, they needed depth at that position, especially with guys like Malcolm Ray and Dennis Briggs deciding to move on from the program. I think that's where Grady Kelly kind of slots in. And then Jalen Lucas, yeah, not a not a blue chip, but a massive asset as a return man, a position where FSU needed. I think what I always view it, so FSU's bringing 27 newcomers total here for spring, basically 14 transfers, 13 early enrollees from their high school class. The way I always view it is, one, did the roster get better? I think, yes, it did. If you look at the departing pieces uh, from a transfer standpoint and the additions from a transfer standpoint, I think they've improved that in and out. Now, I don't think they replaced maybe a Trey Benson and a Jared Verse, who are obviously going pro, or certainly Jordan Travis. So I'm, I'm not trying to say the roster entirely got better. I'm saying from a immediate control stuff of transfers in and out, FSU improved. The other thing I look at is, did they go and get things they needed that they certainly didn't have as we turn our attention to the spring from when the season wrapped up and what left this program, whether by draft or by portal? And for the most part, yes, I think they did. Um, yeah, I, I think spring will be interesting. Brendan referenced it earlier in the sense where we're going to watch some positions and see what do they still need there? And is somebody exceeding what we expected there or has somebody taken a big step forward at a position like that? Using D-end as an example, can Byron Turner be better than a second-line guy? I don't think he can, but we'll see if he could potentially. Can Jaden Jones start tapping into some of that length and athleticism and potential? We'll see if he can. Again, don't know that he will. But they brought in security blankets by bringing in multiple defensive ends who do different things. So I think they're still in a spot where it's not going to be necessarily a weakness, just may not be certainly the strength it was with a guy like Jared first leading from the front. So that's sort of... Uh, where I feel everything stands as a portal to a degree closes for FSU here. Switching gears briefly here, Zachary, you put in a crystal ball. I think it was yesterday for a high school prospect in the 2024 class. It's been weird putting in crystal balls for a couple of high school prospects in the last week or so uh, after the early signing period, but uh, here we are. So, uh, so I'll let you take the stage real quick and talk about a, uh, what appears to be a nice value add for Florida state. Yeah, so Steve Wolfong and I predicted four-star, 24-7 composite quarterback 
Trevor Jackson to end up at Florida State. If he does pick FSU, he'll be a walk-on. Um, he was originally at West Orange High School in his junior season before heading to Orlando Jones High School for his senior year. Split time with another quarterback uh, in that system. So wasn't a full-time starter there. But a guy that has put up some some impressive film um, over, over his high school career and was at the Elite 11 Finals uh, over the summer in California and um, actually won, I think it was the Rail Shot Challenge. I don't I don't know exactly what that is, but um, it's on his profile. And I, I do remember Sounds that. cool. I remember that challenge. I think Cromenhawk, Luke Cromenhawk actually did well in it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that is super raw. Um, and I confirmed yesterday that Trevor Jackson, if he picks FSU, is turning down several scholarship offers from like G5 schools. Like I had heard that he was about to sign with a G5 school in the state of Florida. And, you know, I think he and his family decided they, they want to take a shot at, you know, P4 football. So they're uh, likely going to end up at Florida state. Um, Trevor Jackson will walk on and um, try and, you know, compete in that quarterback room that will consist of you know a few young arms like Brock Glenn, Luke Krimenok, obviously a veteran guy in DJU. And then, you know, Trevor Jackson will be that fourth guy uh, most likely. And I think that's really good for Florida State because it's always risky to go into a season with only three, you know, scholarship arms. I mean, that's kind of the, become more of a norm um, in recent, you know, college football. But I think it's good that they have four, you know, quality options in that room. And, and he's a guy that that's going to need to get developed at the college game to be able to contribute. Um, you know, I would say probably at least two years of of seasoning to be able to get ready um, to be a, a a quarterback somewhere. You know, and maybe it's a deal where like you know he he spends a few seasons at Florida State and heads elsewhere. Like I I don't know exactly the plan, but but he's a guy that that I think can provide value to FSU um, kind of as a scout team quarterback early on in his career. So the real shot challenge is basically a, a vertical throw down the sideline. It probably varies the length they do. I don't know what they do at Elite 11. If I had to guess, it's probably at least 20, 25 yards. Um, and you're just trying to put in, like, very tight window, across face mask, easy catch ball. It's about rhythm, timing, nailing the receiver. It's one of those where, like, it's not defendable. It's basically you're throwing over the corner and under the safety and putting it perfectly in the spot for the receiver along the sideline. I was going to say, watching this film, like, the most impressive part of his game is his velocity on his throws. Like, he – he can throw deep out. He can. Uh, there's a lot of oomph behind some of his passes. So I don't think this is a addition that like yeah, it's going to look good in, in rankings and uh, it's going to look like a really nice. I mean, it is a really nice value add for Florida State, right? Like to get that as a as a probable walk on um, is good. It elevates the floor of your your room uh, to have that. And he's going to be really helpful, I'm sure, for scout team this. This season, but like, yeah, you know, I think the future is Brock Leonard, Luke Cromanock. I mean, he'll have a chance, obviously, but uh, it is still nice. It's a nice addition because of the arm talent and a decent amount of athleticism. I think he ran for like 800 yards as a senior. So, yeah, there's yeah. there's some stuff there. He's also ranked 572 spots higher than Miami's scholarship quarterback signee in the uh, 24 class. Hmm. Well. Don't worry, they're uh, they don't have to worry about developing 
uh, high school prospects are just going to go in the transfer portal and do that. I thought it was a thing we're not supposed to do, but apparently, you know, Cam Ward, good, good on them. Good on them. Poor quarterbacks in that room, man. Especially the Harry Potter guy. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll be playing a little by Orsonone. Brought to you by the Turner Group. Welcome back to On the Bench. As Chris just yelled in a very interesting voice, we were about to play some by Orsonone, and it's brought to you by... The Turner Group. No, oh, he got it in the normal voice this time. That's that's fair. And I'm going to try to not butcher this ad read. So we want to say thank you to Colin Turner, Amy Turner. Becky. Becky. Uh, everyone over at the Turner Group for continuing to, to be sponsors of On the Bench, and particularly this segment by Orsonone. If you are in the housing market or about to enter the housing market, the Turner Group's where we recommend you to go. Uh, there is a ton of experience. Uh, Colin's just a legitimately good dude. He knows what he's doing and experienced and connected uh, throughout the state of Florida to be able to help you go and move forward with the home buying process or selling process with confidence. Reach out to Colin Turner over at the Turner Group. Put it in the Google machine and you'll get all the contact information you need. All right, let's start off with a little buyer's known from, I don't want to do, I have I have one guys and maybe a little salty. I don't know if we want to go down this road. Do we, do we want to, are you in the mood for salty Sinone? Yes. We'll see. We could always edit it out. How about that? Okay. So when a report goes out there, and let's say we break it, all of a sudden it's everywhere else on the internet with no attribution. Buyer Sinone, what pisses you off the most about that? Well, I feel like that's not a buyer Sinone. Um, Don't tell me how to play my game. I mean, I Sinone it. Like, I've reached a point in my career where, like, I know it's going to happen. So on to the next. Yeah, Sinone, it's awful. Um, I think a lot of people take advantage of it. And, um, you know, what might seem like a small, you know, report, like there's hours and hours and hours of sourcing and phone calls and everything that goes behind that type of stuff. And just unfortunate that that's become kind of the norm. Um, you know, I don't know how it was, you know, back in the day and, and newspaper attribution and stuff like that. But but it seems like in this era, it's it's just, you know, not it's not the case people don't people don't credit people for for original reporting i think that's the most irritating part to me zach is that there's a lot like so for sean murphy chris went called me on monday morning i was writing working on something else he said hey, i'm going over to the bench can you do a pre-write for me on him visiting he's like i got word that it was happening want to make sure going over there now so he's spending his time to drive somewhere he was sourced on something built up through X amount of time accumulating this relationship to get this tip. I then take my time out of my day to write something. You then start making calls, Zach, to start you know, trying to get context for it. So we're talking about, again, hours of work. Chris breaks it. It goes out there, which is great. That's how it should work. And then no one attributes it. All of a sudden, everyone else knew this guy was on campus without attributing it. And I know that like things move fast and it's difficult to... like. If you're all chasing the same thing, I understand not having attribution. But man, like it just happens all the time now. And there was a point when I would try to attribute other people oh, when we didn't have it first. It's like, now what's what's the point of that? And I think the only thing is like ethically, I, I feel guilty for not when that when that doesn't happen. So um, yeah, uh, I just, I want to, to vent about it and, and talk about it real quick. I know we don't want to get into the weeds, but like, it's just it's been constant this cycle. I don't know how else to, to approach it or talk about it at this point, but it just keeps happening and it's not right. It's unethical. 
that's not an okay way to conduct business and I'm about over it. So moving on, I wish I could have the peace that Chris has with it. How did you find peace with this, Chris? I've done it for a really long time. <laughs> there you go. And I also realized at some point my paycheck's basically going to be the same, whether I bitch about it, it or I'm happy it, about it. Or I'm about it. You're right. No, he's, he's right. Yeah, Chris's approach to this is, is probably the, the most healthy one. Um, and he's sitting there with a little smile on his face because he knows he's correct on it. All right, let's play some buyers known from our uh, listeners and Knowles 24-7 subscribers. Thank you for participating. We had a ton of buyers known prompts. Uh, we're only going to get to probably about half a dozen or so because we, we're short on time here. Let's uh, so start off with Kev from Porto. Buyer Sinone, the transfer portal is proving to be sustainable. Bye. I, I mean, I don't know if it is for everyone, but I think FSU has figured out the formula and done a very, very effective job at it. Now you play with fire, and we saw FSU do that this cycle. We saw him do it at linebacker, and that still is somewhat to be determined. We've seen him do it at defensive end, and they didn't get to the same level of guy they probably had hoped to get when they entered into the fray. But in general, did FSU do an effective job to this point in time of building a very good roster for when they kick it off in August, September? Yeah, I think they have, and they've done a really good job of that. And it, they're an organized bunch, and they work hard at it. So, yeah, I, I think I think it is, yes. I think the gamble on portal guys is far lower than the gamble on high school guys. And I think FSU feels in a similar manner. And that's not to say you shouldn't recruit one or the other. You should recruit both. But I, I do think there's an opinion in the building that is similar to that. Zach? Yeah, I'll say soft buy. Um, I think because I think it all depends on how you uh, characterize sustainable. Because to me, like, yeah, you're going to sustain a competent, you know, nine to 10 win program if you dominate in the portal. But are you going to sustain a national championship contending roster every year if all you're doing is is dominating the portal and, and not signing top high school recruiting classes? No. So, yeah, I mean, it just depends on on how you describe, you know, sustain sustaining um because if you're if you're talking about that top tier the top top echelon of college football then no i i don't think that that you know florida state's sustaining at that level but they can sustain at a nine to ten win level um with the players that they'll get every year in the portal but i don't think i don't think that's the model to win it all i i do think some of the nuance here and I'm going to buy it like it is sustainable to be a consistently good program, which is you know where Florida state's at. And then you want to take yeah. the next step and you have to recruit a little bit better at the high school level to, to probably get there and, and sustain there. We've talked about that. Um, but with, with the portal, like a few things like have proven to be true is you can't always rely on a position to show up like linebacker or safety last cycle, like these or guard, you thought you just get quality guards at any point. And like the transfer guard play this year for Florida state was underwhelming. It wasn't horrible, um, but it wasn't, wasn't great. It wasn't uh, probably on par with the rest of the roster. And so you think that they, you can just go ahead and flip over a rock and get guys at non-premium positions. And that's just not necessarily the case. Uh, so that's an evaluation of, of re-evaluating it like a, like a data point for us. Uh, the other side of that too You've heard before, like, oh, you can't get a Jared Verse every year. Well, you know, maybe not a Jared Verse, but you're getting an all-conference guy from Power Five level this cycle. 
you were really close to getting Nick Scorton. You should have gotten the first visit, and if you did, you probably would have gotten him. That would have been your Jared Verse replacement. Jared Verse was your Jermaine Johnson replacement. So it's not like this unicorn of like, oh, it's just totally unavailable or unattainable. Like there's premium players at premium positions all the time that go in. There's really good quarterbacks who are available consistently via the transfer portal. Like DJ DJ Uyungle is like ranked, I think, as the 12th or 14th prospect in the portal this cycle. At his position. At his position. Thank you for the, the clarification there. And some of that is we as a network have emphasized younger players with more upside uh, there, uh, especially at quarterback, but just in general. But like, okay, so there's you're telling me there's a dozen better players than him at his position in the portal? Dude just won, what, nine games and was one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the country. Like, And you got him. And you got him without a huge battle either. So like, my point being is like, you, you can find helpful players consistently uh, maybe not like as scattershot as you you would have thought like at every single position group but there's always going to be an avenue to in some form or fashion make your roster better that's always portal, going to exist portal is also a two-way street it allows you to uh for Filter, lack of a better description kind of yeah Process. clean out the fat get rid of the things that aren't going to help you win games and create roster spots to go add guys you believe can be assets to you or bring value to your roster and make you better. You know, FSU moving on from a Dylan Brown Turner creates a spot that allows you to go get a Jalen Lucas, who, well, he doesn't do everything well. There are things he's going to do that will probably help you compete better in football games next year and certainly compete better than you were with Dylan Brown Turner. Just to use two as an example. Like the idea of trench recruiting like yes finding an elite offensive tackle in the transfer portal probably not going to happen it's not like there's a great chance of finding that in the high school ranks too and if you do unless it's like a plug and play like well first maybe two-year type of guy you're going to take a risk on a blue chip offensive tackle who's going to cost you a ton of money and you're going to pay for them for those first couple years and nil opportunities after they arrive on campus and then if they prove to be good, you're going to guess what you're going to have to do? Re-up and pay them even more. So you're basically paying for the right to develop and to have the right of first refusal. And so like my point being is there is not one surefire way to do it. Like the best way is just Georgia and Ohio State it and get the the go with a wide grasp and get as many elite high school prospects as possible. Yeah, but hit like, as often as you can hit, and when you lose one who's good, go add one who's as good or better because you're viewed as a school of value. I just I don't think that going into the portal every year is as bad as people make it out to, to see. I, I think there's this – it's here now. It is point. taxing. That is the one thing – because it's done in such a condensed window and it's chaotic. I, yeah, I, but I would, I would argue that uh, high school recruiting is far more taxing. Like I – I yeah, from an emotional if you, if you pulled mo- most coaches, I think they would all agree that they prefer transfer recruiting because there isn't any, hey, come look at my school. Like, you know, it's we busy. have really, it's like, dude, like we have a linebacker spot. Come here, you know, we can, yeah. you know, talk about your NIL askings and all that. And that's pretty much it. There's not much else to it. There's and no you can pattern. pull up their college film too and yeah. just be like, bip, 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 bip. okay, data points, uh, five minutes, we can tell is this guy. Yeah capable plant this level we can make an assessment that's relatively like fsu's proven to be a good judge of talent and the transfer portal you can make a pretty good assessment at a pretty high hit rate whether someone can play competently at the power four level so uh hope that answers your question kev uh s s dog father s dog father yeah buyer sonone sponsored by 
the Turner Group. FSU has done enough to raise the talent level to win a natty this upcoming season, in parentheses, assuming the CFP doesn't create a BS reason for us to not be there. That's the CFPI to you. I'm Sononi and I think they're a playoff quality roster that can compete for one of those 12 spots. I don't view them as one that's probably one of the last two, three, four standing right now. Yeah, I agree with that, Sononi. I hate to just all of us agree, but yeah, also, no, I don't think you're quite there. Um, But you've given yourself a chance to play for a playoff spot in what should be a transition year. We'll get into it. You've also accumulated a lot of underclassmen on this roster. Right, so you have a talented team with some upside for future years as well. JJ H10, Byerson, Norvell Stain should be viewed as an internal confidence boost of FSU being in Big Ten or SEC by the 2026 season. That makes I'd sense. I buy that. I, I'll buy that. I think I think it speaks to a belief in leadership from Mike Norvell. And I don't think Mike Norvell thinks ACC is a long-term solution. So yes, I'll buy that to a degree. Yeah. Not to go super conspiracy theory on it, but yeah, I don't think it's some conspiracy, but I think the buy-in is there from the people above Mike Norvell as well as himself, and you know, I could see them so departing the conference by that time. I'll add to that. I guess I'm agreeing with you guys as well. Like I do think that's an indication of of what he believes, what his representation believes, what Florida State believes to be the most likely thing. Like you're probably not making that investment if you don't think there's a good chance that you're going to have that money. Uh, to pay or or if you're going to be getting lapped uh, by, by these other schools financially and TV contracts for the, you know, until 2033. Um, I do think that the Mike Norvell contract extension and more importantly, the him being in the conversation with the Alabama job guys, I think that's a really like, I think that's a nice boost for Florida state on the recruiting trail. I think just with optics, like the fact that he was mentioned in that job, I think helps you out a lot or, or at least momentarily. Like it is a nice like little feather in the cap that, that yes, Alabama viewed Mike Norvell as a potential replacement for Nick Saban. Like you got that, you got coach of the year awards. A lot of people on the recruiting trail who you're going up against that don't have that. So to me, that, that means something. Uh, this is from Thunderman 43 by Arsenone. DJU beating Clemson will prove to be the defining moment in Dabo's village and origin story. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, that'd be great. When, uh, I'll go with a buy because hell, why not? Um, what happened to Dabo's eye? Did we figure that out? Was there reporting on the shiner that he got? Apparently, he said that in the locker room, he brought up the you know God's name, image, and likeness thing. And um, no, there were, there was some meme that if he took the damage hoops? off, huh? Was he there playing was, hoops and caught an elbow? I don't, I don't, I don't know. They didn't. I don't think anyone said anything. There was. I saw like some someone post like if he took the Bama job and brought up like his name, image, and likeness stuff. That's what would have happened. But um, no, I just so it means weird. for the internet. It looked like he. It looked like he got like like really messed up. Right? It looked like a solid elbow, like the type you take on the the little turnaround where they just get a little too high with the elbow. Maybe he was watching um, the, the walk-on kicker uh, take some field goal attempts and just a stray hit him in the face. So when the Bama opening happens, obviously Dabo, because being from Birmingham, having played at Alabama in the Tyson University, I'm looking and I look to see, because you know Alabama's not hiring a guy who doesn't believe in the transfer portal. Dude, if, that guy took, else, if that guy took five transfers a year, Chris, if he took five he transfers, none. but if he took five in a year Zero. for the last three years, he'd probably have the Alabama job right now. That, that job, just amazed me. It amazed me that like he's so unflinching when it comes to changing and evolving. I mean, this shouldn't be amazing given like everything he. I mean, I know, but you you would think what happened on the field, what transpired for them, and looking at that roster and it going 
the opposite direction of the way it had gone to allow them to become as good as they became, that there'd be a little bit of a, you know, evaluation within the house, but I guess not. DJU against Clemson, if both teams are playing with some level of substance and the ACC championship game uh, up in the air and playoff spot potentially being there, like, yes, that will be a storyline. And if DJU wins, uh, the the deck gets increasingly loaded for, for Dabo and, and the angst there. So, yes, there is potential buy for that to be a, an origin story uh, type of type of heel switch for him or heel flip for sure. Desi Knoll asks, Byer Sinone, 10 of the 15 transfers FSU has gotten will start at the portal. Or excuse me, Jesus. 10 of the 15 transfers will start at some point this season. And we're all doing calculus real quick. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm... While the other guys go through it. Uh, what is interesting about this group, I'll buy it because uh, it is a reloading year. Um, it's, there's a nice amount of veterans mixed with some guys with upside, but like Earl Little is probably going to start. He's a younger and experienced guy. Sean Murphy is probably going to start at some point this season. Marvin Jones Jr. is brought in to be a starter. So like these guys who weren't starters at the previous schools, I think a lot of them are yeah, going to. I could um, see. I could see like even if more. We're including- Kick return or punt returner, then yeah, ten's very easy to get to with Jalen. I, I think it's eight, nine of the four. Jalen Luke, Jalen Lucas, not Jalen Brown. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I or think maybe eight, maybe, maybe Jalen Brown too. He's fast. You, you think eight or nine, Chris? You're synoning it then. You're not as like. Uh, I mean, I'm right there on it. I'm on the or. But yeah, I guess also known it as to play well for the Turner Group. We've just been agreeing across the board. What did you say, Zach? Uh, I said bye. What's it, what's interesting to me, guys, is that <laughs> this group is like so. Last year it was very much of this all-in proven commodities. Let's just go out and get them. It was done very quickly. This was not as smooth as a year, and there's more variables with the guys. I think you're taking in the sense of like, you know, what if Marvin Jones Jr. doesn't reach his upside? Then all of a sudden, you're back to the drawing board at defensive end. Or what if Jalen Brown isn't a guy who that speed translates over with like other skill sets. Uh, there's guys who are unproven that you're taking and, and about half this class is, is fairly unproven. Um, but, it, but if it hits, then in a reload year, in a transition year, if it hits, you would allow yourself to be sustainable in 2024. And then all of a sudden be back in the, 2025 like conversation of like yeah if, if one of our young quarterbacks is as good as we think they are all of a sudden you can do some stuff i think that's kind of what's interesting about this group to me is there's a lot of pie upside with it by or sanone duramel 15 or 5 i'm just losing my mind by or sanone sponsored by the turner group sorry colin the large transfer class this year undermines efforts to improve high school recruiting due to persistent narratives uh, so FSU took has taken 14 to 15 guys so far. We thought it would be like six to seven. Now some of that is you didn't finish with some of your high school recruits, and I think others too. They decided to, to go ahead and be a little bit more aggressive and and cycling you know some of parts of the roster. People worried about scholarships, especially with NCAA stuff. Don't worry about scholarships. I, I think you'll be fine there. Uh, room will be made if it needs to be made, and, and it has to be made right now. Um, but in terms of like what that means for narratives with high school recruiting, I mean it's going to be it's going to be persistent because there's a program that likes to 
to create narratives all the time. I think it's probably yeah, they, they took them. eight income transfers too. So, and I don't think they're done taking transfers more than likely. So, yeah, it wasn't a true narrative last year either, but it still was propagated and circulated by people. So, yeah. all recruiting is a sales. And sales deals with narratives that are true and that are false and that are somewhere in between those. And you always got to battle them and deal with them. And that's not going to go away. FSU takes a lot of transfers. Yes. They also play a lot of young guys. Yes. The key for FSU is young guys that have value. The Conrad Husseys of the world, those sorts. Um, maybe one of those young linebackers. Them continuing to elevate their role and finding a role. I do think one position where it's going to become a battle for FSU is the O-line. At some point, there has to be an in-house developed young offensive lineman who goes and plays and does something for FSU. But I also understand why it hasn't happened today because you have to give those time those guys time to develop and get to a point where you can trust them and believe playing them is not going to ruin them. It's going to allow them to flourish. But I do think that's a position where we've kind of reached the, uh, the road splitting and choosing a path. Yeah, I mean, I think especially I, I agree with you a ton, Chris, on the offensive line, like. I think that 2022 class is probably the one that you need to see one of those guys, you know, whether it's Julian Armella or Jalen Early, like those are two blue chip guys. Like at some point you've got to develop high school offensive linemen um, into being a guy that, that can contribute a ton for you. Um, And I know Rob Scott is one of those guys and, you know, Maurice Smith, they inherited, but, Paris Washington as well are all yeah. guys that they've developed. They, they can but, develop offensive linemen. Yeah, they, they can. Um, but it's, you know, we see every year it seems like it's a revolving door of it's like they take a guard or it, like two guards or, you know, one tackle and and boom, that's like who's going to start for them in the portal. Like, yeah, Gibbons, Beach, yeah. uh, Casey Roddick, Casey Roddick, Andre Jones to a lesser yeah. degree, Jeremiah Byers. Yeah. No, you, you are getting to the point where that needs to start manifesting itself, but it is also still in, on schedule. Like w- when they took that 2022 class with Julian Armel and three years, early, yeah. but that was that was their, their timeline. We're yeah, on that three timeline. Year track. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. But that but I think Chris and I are both saying like, hey, now is the time. The bill is about to become due. Yeah, yeah sure, right. sure. I yeah. think we're all on the same page. I'll just, I, you know, it has to play out this season and then we can judge it, I think is, is where we're at. Um, yeah. Okay. We are about to wrap up here, uh, gentlemen. It's January 16th. I think this is the first time, knock on wood, where we're not like waiting for something to happen. How yeah. does that, how does that Annou- feel? What announce do do Sean Murphy, contract details beyond that. Yeah, it's calm. What's that feel like? There's it's fencing weird. up. They're actually going to start working on a football-only facility. I mean, I shared pictures of the parking lot. Oh, let me tell you, parking is going to be a hell of a thing this spring. I think it, oh God. <laughs> I will say that I think it was Dane in the group chat said it wonderfully if it was Dane. And if it was Clay, I apologize. I don't think it was Brett. Sorry, not that Brett's not able to articulate things nicely. Oh, Brett only reads like one eighth of the Yeah, Brett's, Brett's just kind of avoiding that cluster F of a, of a group thread that we have uh, for recruiting stuff. But um, <laughs> so... What what Dane said was after the Norvell extension and just I think we all felt this levity with it. And like just after the six week, basically from Jordan's injury through everything that happened into this part of January was just a slog emotionally and just from a workflow standpoint. It was just all just none of it felt good and it was taxing and 
exhausting. And Dane was like, who would have thought that just retaining your coach was going to be the shot in the arm that this fan base needed? I think that was also in line with the recruiting stuff and the portal taking off too. But like it, it added some levity and some relief to be like, ah, I think sometimes in, in life, like you don't really know how you're going to respond to the situation or something that you want or don't want until you're actually presented with it. And when you had to look pretty closely and it, like Mike Norvell may be leaving, you were like, oh, that would really, really suck if that happened on top of everything else. So it, point being, it, it feels kind of uh, there's some relief right now. And that FSU seems to have stabilized. It's weathered the storm of a really brutal stretch of, of just a lot of bad news. And um, and yeah, and, and here we are. Like, I think you made it out and you have a, a top 10 recruiting class, top three portal class. Future is still bright in Tallahassee. Uh, that's per Mike Norvell and all his tweets and um, sunglass emojis. So, yeah. What are you guys going to do with your time? Basketball. 2025 recruiting. <laughs> all right. That, that sounded fun. All right. For Chris Nee, Zach Blossing, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks to the Turner Group for sponsoring Buyer Sinone. We'll talk to you guys next time.